Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the NoBS Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Tom Michael, Chief Executive Officer of Larimer's in Pittsburgh. Tom's an accomplished executive who started at Larimer's as CFO 20 years ago and has been CEO of Pittsburgh's premier family-owned clothier since 2012. Tom, it's time to cut the BS. Let's start with the term business casual. Please give me and our audience some clear standards for what business casual or casual Friday should mean. Because trust me, I've seen or witnessed the whole spectrum and I've come to believe that everyone has their own definition of what business casual is in the workplace. You know, it's a very complicated question and it's not easy to explain in a few sentences. Uh, but what you're trying to do is deliver your brand and you need to be thinking about it. And the one thing I'll tell all men out there is every woman is looking at your shoes. So keep that in mind. That's really great advice because a lot of men are lazy about their shoes as far as how often they buy them and how often they shine them. Right. And it's important to wear quality shoes and to keep them shined because you women are going to be looking at them and they're judging you on them. And uh, as how how you deliver your brand is partly by how you dress. And one of the one of the issues that we tell guys who don't get it is you're going to meet people that you want to influence. And a 46 percent of what transpires is nonverbal in the first 60 seconds. Why start with a leg down? Have the right haircut. Wear a current pair of glasses. Make sure you showered uh, and wear great clothes that you feel great in. Let's go to the business casual. So my scenario is we'll go into a client and they'll, they'll be lamenting that they have this business casual uh, policy on Fridays or it's Friday, casual Friday, or it's uh, you pay five bucks to a nonprofit, you get to wear jeans. And you'll hear complaints about how it goes across the spectrum that some people uh, go fashionable with Larimer's high-end looking casual stuff for jeans. And then other people um, go crazy and have tears all through the jeans or, or they define casual as just Bermuda come, shorts. Bermuda shorts. Um, it's again, it's a very complicated question and it's about, it's about the firm delivering their brand because when their customers and their vendors come to their place of business, they're being examined and, uh, it requires, uh, effort on the part of the firm to deliver that message and you have to do it. We go out and do, uh, dressing seminars for lots of companies and lots of firms and, uh, and it just doesn't it, – it's a very complex issue. And I think that you hit the nail on the head in that it's a messaging issue because business casual doesn't have a clear universal definition. Mm -hmm. So that leaves it open to individual interpretation. Right. Then what happens is you have complaints and frustration by other employees and managers at people that they think pushed it to the limit or pushed mm -hmm. it past the envelope. And so then what happens is a formal communication – comes out as a standardized policy, which kind of defeats the purpose because you're trying to reward employees and say that this environment is is casual and flexible and we want to mm -hmm. have a team philosophy and we want you to feel comfortable at work. And then you come back with a formalized policy, which inevitably half the people are going to make fun of 
because they won't, they wonder what the heck's even going on. You told us it was business casual. Now you're defining specifics. So it does start with the messaging from the beginning of how you, uh, you handle that. Right. And at the corporate level, delivering the corporate message requires effort and thought. And a lot of times there's not a lot of thought put into it. I would still go back to the individual. You're your own brand and you need to think about it for yourself and you need to deliver your brand at work every day. And that means that you need to look current and your clothes need to fit uh, because right now men are wearing uh, uh, trimmer pants, trimmer shirts. And you need to keep your wardrobe current so people view you as current because they view that your knowledge base. Is your knowledge base current? Are you 50 years old wearing pleated uh, khakis uh, from 20 years ago? Uh, that affects how the millennials who's, who are on your team look at you. Okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Message clarity is critical to success in any endeavor. The term business casual is just one more example of how hard it is to reach key target audiences with a clear story. I would encourage companies to actually go out and talk about it rather than put a written policy together through an all-employee email. Talking about it, getting some feedback, saying it in front of the group, having your uh, managers talk and supervisors talk to smaller groups because then the person that is the outlier is going to have heard it and they can't be as crazy as they were going to be, and the other people are going to be happy that you did it. But just in case you need some more, here are four ways to casually casually maximize your messaging approach. Number one, match the message to the medium. Think of how your target audience will receive, process, and understand the message. Then adjust your content accordingly. Make it about them. Think about how each target market is impacted. Tom mentioned millennials. They think very different than boomers who think very different than Gen Xers. So weave your different issues into the overall story so you can make it about them. Number three, keep it simple. Break it down to the simplest terms that someone barely interested at all will still listen and remember the message. And that's the key thing. We all think that what we're saying is interesting. The person we're saying it to has a lot on their mind and might not find it as interesting. So break it down to the simplest terms. Number four, less is more, which is not the same as keeping it simple. And here's why. We often feel compelled to provide others with more information than they actually need. Write what you want to say. Read it aloud. Edit it. Read it another time. Edit it yet again. And then maybe edit it even more and then say it. Who does that? Not a lot of people, but the ones that do are the great communicators. You can do it too, and you can cut the BS. The No BS Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash no BS. Try a book like Persuasion, Channeling Attention for Change by Robert Cialdini. You can download it for free. Go to audibletrial.com slash no BS. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash no BS for your free audiobook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You heard a little bit from our guest already. It's Tom Michael, CEO of Larimer's Pittsburgh, and uh, he's uh, been the uh, leader of the family-owned company. And Tom, welcome officially to the No BS Show. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. Walk us through your educational background and career journey. Wow. Uh, I never thought I was going to be in fashion. Um. 
I uh, got a degree in finance uh, at American University, went to work for a bank as an auditor, found out I loved the job, got to see the whole bank from the inside, uh, decided I wanted to be in the financial capital world, moved to New York City, became an NASD examiner where I, I monitored a core group of brokerage firms, which was a huge job for a 22-year-old kid. And, uh, you know, brokerage firms that you would know, Merrill Lynch, uh, Bank Julius Baer, uh, these were big firms. And that was a revolving door onto Wall Street. Uh, and I went to work for a what would be today called a hedge fund. It was called Domestic Arbitrage Group. And we made mar- I made markets in NASDAQ stocks and did traditional uh, arbitrage, which was mergers and acquisitions at the time. And uh, saw my boss buying and selling companies, thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. I can do this. I was 27. I went into uh, – went to um, – uh, I went to into business with a guy I'd gone to college with. His company, which was Gourmet Food Distribution and Manufacturing, was in technical bankruptcy because he hadn't paid his payroll taxes. And I injected the money to take the company out of bankruptcy, and we built it into a national company over 10 years. It was called Avant-Garde Foods. And we made a line of cheese spreads called Spreadables that was just delicious, and it was kind of Ben & Jerry's when Ben & Jerry's was just getting started. and. Uh, Sold that company, took a year off, talking to my wife at the time. What do you want to do? She was like, I don't know. I said, well, why don't we move back to Pittsburgh? We'll uh, buy Laramore's out of cash flow and uh, it'll be our retirement job. And what we found out is it's anything but a retirement job. Retail is an extremely complex business that requires a lot of effort. And the success we have today comes from being good at building a team and knowing our core competencies and playing to those strengths. All kinds of stuff to talk about. American University, and then you start as an auditor and uh, then an examiner in New York City at 22 years old. Talk to me about that. can be exciting, invigorating, and intimidating at the same time, I'm sure. I, uh, you know, I would like, I would say it's like being a, um, officer in the military, I think my brother at 24 flying jets that cost $82 million. Uh, It's uh, like being an assistant prosecutor. You're young, you're given a lot of responsibility and a lot of authority, and you're turned loose. And you're finding your way. You don't really know. You're not as competent as the people across the table. So two quick stories. Um, I went to a company uh, did the audit, and it looked like they were moving stock around to their different audit uh, offices. So they were driving up the price in one – they were doing the IPO in one office, driving the price up at the next office, taking it to the next office and dumping it. And, you know, so – and then they'd move – they'd start the IPO at the third office and move it back around the other way. So they were generating all these fees and all this cash. And I go to my boss, who was a woman, and – and uh say, you know, this doesn't look right to me. And in fact, they were manipulating the stock market. And uh, and uh, I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to stumble across the trading transactions uh, to prove the case. So that was very interesting and enlightening. Um, my favorite time is, uh, so I'm monitoring a group of uh, brokerage firms for capital compliance on Wall Street. You have to, you hear about this all today, you know, 
do the banks and do the brokerage firms have the capital to handle the position if something goes wrong? Uh, think Lehman Brothers, okay? And so uh, I'm, it's you know, it's my daily chore. I'm looking through the brokerage firms. I come across Bank Julius Baer, and I'm like, uh, and I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking this doesn't work out. This doesn't work out. So I call the guy. I said, Hey, we need to meet. And remember, I'm 22. He's 46. He's a sophisticated CFO at a big brokerage firm. And so I walk in there and, and uh, sit down because he has to take my meeting. And we walked in, sit down, and uh, uh, he uh, – uh, I say, you know, this math doesn't work out. And just then the fax machine on his desk whirls. He rips off the fax, hands it to me, uh, the parent company out of Switzerland, and just transferred in all the money they needed to meet capital compliance. And then he dismissed me. <laughs> Great story. So you're 22. What I would say to all 22-year-olds, whatever you're doing, whatever you're uh, involved in, you have the opportunity to learn a lot. Take that opportunity to uh, and enjoy it and see it for what it is. Learning experience. Talk about the communication that you had to use to be able to present those challenging ideas to your boss, but also when you had to interview the people that were doing the violations talk about how oh, you i learned quickly i was to too young i was too young i didn't i didn't know a lot about communication i was learning my way i learned more about communication when we started the cheese company that's when i really uh had to be the leader and and lead train motivate provide strategic vision and i was still 27 at the time and that was um uh much more the learning experience what gave you the idea or the impetus to do the cheese? Company. It was never about cheese. It was about being an entrepreneur. And what my life has been is about starting companies and being an entrepreneur. And I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to do that a number of times. Um, and cheese was just what the opportunity was. So I'm working at domestic arbitrage. There, We're buying and selling companies. My boss is doing IPOs. Uh, and um, um, I'm thinking, oh, I can do that. And this opportunity presented itself. And so I took the opportunity uh, to do it. So that's how I got into it. What were the biggest, let's take it real quick off the top of your head. What's the biggest challenge that you had at the cheese company? And what's the biggest success that you can remember? The biggest challenge was communication. Learning to be an effective communicator. Um, so we built three factories. Uh, we just built the second factory and, you know, I was still, you know, we were growing fast. And so we maybe were two years into it and I, we were very driven. You're always, I don't know about other entrepreneurs. I'm always scared because every day, you, every day. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so, uh, I call all the employees together and I go, I'm going to yell. You want to yell at me? Feel free. I'm going to yell. And uh, for the next year, I don't know how long, I yelled. I just yelled at everybody. And that was a huge mistake. And that was a mistake I had to learn the hard way. Do you think anybody 
was motivated. Do you think anybody was happy? No, they weren't. And that was an important lesson for me. It's kind of like got it out of my system. Uh, today, I don't yell at all. Uh, and um, I'm also, all, I have a much different strategy. So communication was the, uh, uh, the big learning experience. We were very fortunate to have a really great product that was well accepted into the market and, uh, um, you know, learned a lot again uh, about running a business and how to uh, uh, be successful and, and technological innovation and how important change is and how, you know, your life's going to change all the time and, and things aren't going to stay the same. So it was stuff like that. It's interesting you brought up the yelling. There's a lot of things that happen early in your career when you are learning from well, – we always are a product of our environment. I worked for a boss once who was a screamer, and he and I are close, and, and he knows I use this reference because I learned a lot from him both ways. And um, he was a screamer, and I had been in top management positions just kind of stumbled across them just like you from 21 years old on. And so now I'm probably five, six, seven years in my career. And this guy brings me in as a VP of a large company. And I was coming from the outside and I was way younger than everybody. And everybody like screamed at people, which was foreign to me, but my team wasn't working well and he starts screaming at me. So I go back and I screamed at my team. And I remember after I did, I walked in my office and closed the door and I like felt so scared gummy or uh-huh. dirty or stupid or right. and I was embarrassed that I've never done that again. But so it's similar to your situation where you're just trying things and then you quickly realize either what doesn't fit you right. authentically or just what doesn't work. Right. And that's, that was a huge learning process today. I've, I could talk about it today. I do it totally different today. I, uh, sit down personally connect with the other person, get a perspective of who they are and and what's important to them and what's what's motivating them because everyone's motivated differently. And then we talk about the issues at hand and the projects yes. we're running. Agreed. Because in even in what I was saying in the rant is what we want to convey and we're sometimes giving too much information, what we want to convey might not even matter to them. You're right. And that's what just that's the challenge of leadership and management, right? Trying to figure it all out. And, on and a lot of times they're having a personal issue that's affecting their ability to do work. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about leadership, since this show is about leadership and communication. We've addressed communication from a leadership standpoint. Other than family, who are your mentors from these early positions in your career and even today? Well, I I thought about that, and uh, I, I would say my biggest mentor and the person I miss the most is um, uh, Carl Schlesinger, who was uh, our second generation in our family business, and uh, just an amazing person who taught me to uh, be such a good person. And he was funny, and he could engage people, and he was warm. And one of my favorite things he taught me was he always talked slow. And um, people would tease him about it. And he would say, hey, the reason I talk slow is because once it's out of your mouth, you can't put it back in there. And I took that to heart. You know, he read every document he ever signed, no matter what it was, from cover to cover. 
Uh, and, I, you know, something I'm doing much better with in uh, the last number of years is he always wrote notes to customers uh, when they had successes in their life or their family. And we do that a lot today. And he was just extremely knowledgeable about the field and people knew it and they uh, appreciated his perspective. You talked about him as second generation. Mm -hmm. That's at Larimer's? Yes. And and so uh, when you decided to buy into Larimer's, um, were you the first non-family? Yes. Uh, I bought it. We bought, I, My business partner, Lisa Schlesinger, is my um, uh, business partner, and we bought it together. Okay. And Carl was still with the company when you bought it? Did he stay yes. for a, oh, a number of years? Okay. Yes. And uh, uh, we had a great uh, setup where, um, uh, you know, they were, he was still running the company. He took many, uh, it, you know, gave us plenty of r- a runway to take over. Okay. So Carl was one of your mentors. Anybody else from maybe earlier in your... Right. Well, I, 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 would, I was thinking about that, um, and I'll come back to that, but I would say... I have a mentor right now, and and I'd say to your audience, if you don't have a mentor, you should think about getting one. If you don't know what that means and how to do it, you should do some research and figure it out. Uh, I've been a mentor, and I have a mentor now, and the, the way it works when you have a mentor is you can tell them anything you want, and they're not going to repeat it to anybody, and uh, and anything they tell you generally you can share and uh, uh i found it to be very powerful to have a mentor someone who i can meet with for you know once a month or call with a problem and talk about it and uh get uh great advice and it's hard to find the right relationship uh uh so uh but it's certainly worth a worthwhile effort and i would also say to the women in your audience you really need to think about doing it uh, and and finding someone. Sometimes in big companies, you can do it internally. Um, uh, I did it. Uh, I learned all about it at the Institute for Entrepreneurial Excellence at the University of Pittsburgh, which I recommend if your guests live in Pittsburgh, they should take a look at. Um, and uh, it's just so valuable in life. My uh, and I was thinking about who else really influenced me, and I was I, I'm an Eagle Scout. And I think that uh, my scoutmaster, Richard Voller, uh, really influenced me. You know, in scouting, I learned a lot about leadership and cooperation and teamwork. Uh, you know, I didn't realize at the time what I was learning, 16 to 18. I mean, put in position of leadership and advised by the scoutmaster uh, about, you know, what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. And you're leading a group of, you know, 60 kids. And it's, uh, uh, just a very teachable moment. Mentoring is huge. A lot of times it has to happen organically and you probably should look at having multiple mentors throughout your life because there are mentors for different reasons. Sometimes there's a technical type mentor that teaches you. Uh, For instance, I have a radio background and I had someone who taught me a tremendous amount about how to do that and was a mentor on that respect. I have another mentor in one of my early jobs that remained a mentor for a long time. 
and we're still close friends now, but then you kind of sometimes outgrow the mentorship, but you don't outgrow the relationship. He's still a great friend, but he was coaching me at times uh, when we were learning things there. And then sometimes when you get to be in an isolation experience, which you're in and I'm in, which you're the CEO of a company, you're isolated, and that's when you almost have to pay for a mentorship. And what I mean by that is you can join a group of some sort. There's mastermind groups, there's YPO, there's Vistage and so forth. And uh, you then get that trusted advisor that you can sort of hand pick that you know has the ability to continue to be your mentor at this point in your career. Have you utilized uh, mastermind groups at all? Uh, I haven't, but I do know, I know about Vistage. Okay. And it uh, seems like a great organization and a good group of people uh, trying to better themselves. Uh, I do belong to a skull group now. Okay. Talk about that a little bit. Um, so it's uh, like stores across the country. We play a high-end niche in men's and women's clothing. And uh, the group is called the Forum Group. And it meets uh, twice a year in uh, one of the cities of uh, uh, where the store is located. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. We share financial information. We share uh, merchandising information. Um, we print a magazine together. Uh, so it's a, a really great sharing of all best practices. Um, again, something I highly recommend if you can get in one. And I think Vistage is a great way to do it. Um, they... Uh, I think they're all over the country, aren't they? Yes, all over the world. There's over uh, 2,200 groups throughout the world. And that's a great place to uh, have that fellowship and uh, uh, gain best practices. Our group is a little more in-depth because everybody's in the same interest industry. They're all extremely successful in what they do. And uh, so you're you're really talking with people who really know. And when they come, we do a store visit. When, you know, when they came to Pittsburgh, we did a store visit. We always do a store visit. And they they help one of the thank you for hosting the meeting is an analysis of your business, which is also always very valuable. Hear more of my interview with Tom Michael on part two of the No BS Marketing Show.